Hello, welcome to Soberish, the Can We Be Done With This Mercury Retrograde? I'm Tired of Crying in a Bathtub podcast. This is Jessa, your host. I'm here with a special guest, Mark. What was your last name? Pontius? Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate. I just no. met him at the diner. <laughs> <laughs> the Waffle House down the street. Um, Mark is a drummer from the band... Fallout Boy, nailed it. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ever heard of that band? Um, I really have heard of three bands. That's why I just have the one joke. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a good band because I you would have to like play a song for me. Like, oh, okay. I think it's one of those bands that you can sometimes use in a joke because it's. Is it not a really good well, band? I, I love how you subjective. don't like to say that. Yeah, because it's like, all subjective. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm I'm in a band that a lot of people don't like and a lot of people do like but it's all subjective so and it sucks when bands like you know like creed or those bands that were really in a niche thing that was great it was so successful at some time but then it becomes irrelevant and then unfortunately it becomes the the thing for jokes and for things you don't want to be but who's the photograph band that we make that ever is like universally acceptable to make fun of them look at this photograph who sings that Nickelback. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh fuck. That's there's a I have a seat well. Are you gonna tell me you have a CD in your car? No, but there's a <laughs> secret. It's not a secret. It's, it's like a I inadvertently was involved on a it's not nickelback, it was puddle of mud. A puddle oh. of mud record. I have a credit on there as a drummer for for one song. And it's like online, like amongst some of the things, like that's one of the things listed. It's like not at all what I would ever want to be involved with. Yeah. Oh, shit. You should have told me that ahead of time. I would have gotten your you name said, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was just a sample of my drum part. I didn't even play on it, but I got credit for it. So it's a funny thing to get credit for. Uh, Nickelback or Trump posted, because Nickelback has a meme of like, look at this photograph. And then people put different things in right. the in the photograph. <clears throat> Did you see this? Yeah. And uh, Trump used, a, used that meme and got copyright. <laughs> That's genius. Did Nickelback just like copyright? Uh, God, that's so which would great. be amazing if they take a full ownership over it and just like own their like ridiculousness. Yeah, kind but of. they're just like we. The this president is so hated that you got Nickelbacks. Like you're not Public allowed to use that meme. <laughs> so perfect. Um, Foster the People is the band that you're from, which does start with an F and has three words in it. So I, I just had to like go back and count real quick. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, this podcast is going mainstream and, um, now we're just, it's a music podcast. Welcome to season three. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, met Mark... Uh, he started listening to this podcast, I guess, and um, like the rest of us, was having a weird few years. Will you tell us about your weird three years? Uh, yeah. Um. Real quick, uh, the three years that we've all had that have been weird, fucking Earth got a new moon that has been hanging out coincidentally for these three years and uh, the trajectory for this year is a little bit foggy still, but there's something like May is where the rebuilding starts. And this moon is supposed to get launched off in um, April. 
Also, this moon is the size of a car. Is that really how big they said it was? Yeah. Really? So a moon came into the orbit of the Earth in in about three years ago, they said, which would have been 2017 for anybody that doesn't know math. And that's when most of us started to have a weird time. So it was like March 25th of 2017 is when I can say like for sure like shit got weird. And by yeah. June, I was feeling timelines and, you know, my entire life was falling apart. That must have been yeah around the time when I started to have something that, like, was really activating in me. That was, like, a clear sign to seek after something. But I was pretty, basically, I mean, near the end of, well, yeah. I guess, yeah, the last three years. I There have been a couple of years in the band before that that I was... I had subtle feelings of like being unhappy in it and that uh, I didn't know what it was. I mean, because I would think of that. I'd been in the band for about, it's been 10 years now. I think Pumped Up Kicks 10-year reunion is like in a, a month or so. Um, but I'd gotten a lot of, I mean, we we shot to like the top so fast. There was so much momentum. I'd been in a band before that that like had struggled for five years, getting a lot of smoke blown, like thinking we had it, but it didn't work. And then this just happened so fast. There was a, you know, three or four, probably like five years of just enjoyment of all of that momentum, all of the dreams I've had in my life, all the success, the, the popularity, all of that was wonderful. But um, after a while, like getting used to that and that kind of stabilizing, there's just still this deep, like, sadness. It wasn't overwhelming sadness, but something that wasn't fulfilled still, you know. And so that... uh that's what started to well up. I think these, like, about three years ago, there was something that was just really becoming, like, clear that I, I had to do something about that. Like, I had to find it or leave the band that I was in or, or do something to... I couldn't, like, let it just bubble up uh, anymore. So, yeah, I think that was, like, the the nature of going. Like, once I started to realize, basically, there was... Bruce Lee I started like <laughs> <laughs> of all things ah yes the Bruce Lee ascension template <laughs> yeah very obvious um, there was there was something about that I think maybe because I was going to China we had we had a tour to go to China for the first time in 2017 and something I just started I was getting becoming a bookworm and reading a lot of things that were about uh, spirituality or your mind and um he had this thing because he was applying consciousness to art in such a clear way. I mean, Kung Fu, like all martial arts was nothing that I ever resonated with as like an art form. But the way he talked about it was resonated with me and music. It was like an exact blueprint of the, the way I, I associated to music. And so um, he added this consciousness level of it that was very in his culture and in, in, uh, growing up in China. And so it just resonated with me and I applied it really quickly. I read like two or three of his books and on that tour, like applied this, these concepts to try to like let go and flow within your craft. And, you know, I've been drumming for long enough that I had like enough ability. It was now about like letting go and just trusting it. And so there was a huge, it was within like two shows, I a massive transformation in the way that I could play and like confidence and things that the whole band kind of felt. And I, I, uh, really latched onto so that was a actionable thing that of like trying something that I read that was related to consciousness that's kind of woo and subtle and you have to just to understand it you gotta have to try it and it was so quick it just like 
was confirmation. And so then I just started to kind of follow my nose on what resonated. And my girlfriend at the time gave me a book, gave me the Eckhart Tolle book, Power of Now. And that immediately, I just flew through it and it tinged off the first kind of like really understanding there's something else with reality. Right. Which is such a funny book to reference that, that it was that powerful because it is kind of, it's very like... It is kind of kindergarten, yeah. but when you're coming from the perspective that everything is happening to us and that life is like random or whatever, you were an atheist at this point? Yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, I grew, I grew up uh, not like a spiritual family, but then got into church and high school and did that whole thing. Then... When I, I think it's interesting you were you did the like the same amount of time in Christianity that I did around the same chunk of your life, of life that I did. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it was like five years of die hard into it. And then uh saw through that as I like started to live on my own and then became pretty atheist and like just very not spiritual at all. Right. And then yeah, just before that it was like a So Eckhart Toll or Tolly, because I never know if I'm pronouncing something you say right. Eckhart, yeah, yeah. Um, that's like perfect. That's like what he's. Yeah, he's it's perfect. a subtle thing into yeah. it. You know, it's exactly what I needed. Um, and then I couldn't get enough of it. I read all of his books very quickly, and then that the whole China trip was just great. Being in that culture and being aware of those things uh, was super, just magical experience and all. And I kept trying this. I was doing the stuff in, in the live shows, and it was just like. It was so fun. I was just experimenting with it, and it was all working. Um, so, yeah, I got home from that whole trip and then continued trying to find more about the stuff that Eckhart was talking about and then started listening to his lectures, which were really funny because they're so slow. Like, he's so... Yeah, I have to speed the pace up yeah. if I do. And, and that immediately, I was like, I need more. I want more. And so that got me in. I just, on YouTube, this... Because I started watching all that kind of stuff, it started to become an oracle where like Alan Watts all of a sudden was in my feed. And I was like, who's this Alan Watts guy? I clicked it and that blew my mind. So then I went down that rabbit trail for months and then that led me to somebody else. And I kind of went into the Terrence McKenna thing and following all these leads that are online, a lot of people are, you know, and I just was blasting through it. Um, and for a long time, I kind of went a little bit too quick. I wasn't integrating the stuff i wasn't like actionably starting to do the things and apply it and so i'd burn out every now and then on just the intellectual side everything was in my mind um until i was kind of forced to start moving it down into my heart and trying to really like actionably apply the stuff and that's when psychedelics kind of came into that helped me do that um i must have done yeah like the first mushroom trip that i had that was like an actual five gram like heavy dose or whatever that I got from Terrence McKenna just like studying all that it was you know probably four months after the China trip or something so did you do it alone yeah I was adamant about like it's funny I'd done a lot of drugs in my life just being in the band and having the like it offered but never was offered mushrooms and I always in the back of my mind I was like that's the one I really want to try um you'd done acid I hadn't done acid no I hadn't really done no psychedelic yeah I mean I'd smoked weed a lot but uh and at least the music world I was in, it wasn't, psychedelics weren't around a lot. It was more like the uppers and stuff. Um, but yeah, listening to Terrence McKenna talk about it, that's what intrigued me. And he had such a way to talk about it that there's like a right way to do it if you're looking for some answers. You're right. not just trying to go have a good time. So yeah, I did it the first six or seven times where, yeah, alone in darkness, five to six grams. And uh, 
yeah, it it really helped me. I mean, it was wild in the first couple. You just have to learn the ropes, and it's, it's listening to stuff like Terrence McKenna and a lot of these people are talking about in wonderful ways are so helpful because you don't the fearful stuff is a little easier to get through, um, and it's a very important part. So the first couple were definitely intense, and then I started to stabilize what was happening, and that then I could move a lot of these intellectual ideas down into my into my body and, and to like and try to like really integrate it because you're kind of forced to in those mushroom trips you know so is this something kind of intuitively you understood about integration or because i'm not super familiar like obviously i know who terrence mckenna is and when i say wiring under the board that's something i got from a uh trance song in 2001 that had terrence mckenna sampled in it and wiring under the board was the best description of like like um the debate between what's real and what people who've seen the other side can see it's like everyone's like oh well we need we need scientific proof and it's like you're on the top of the board right totally. and you're trying to prove what's underneath it and you can't without detaching yourself from the top of the board you can't be in both places at once yeah so i loved his his description of psychedelics giving you the insight to the wiring and the, the access, board. Yeah. but that's about it. That's about the extent of my Terrence McKenna. So does he explain, were you just kind of intuitively taking yourself through this process or did you kind of get like, here's what you do to integrate the things? No. Yeah. It was kind of learn as you go. I think I sensed there's something about the mat, like the, the reason I wasn't offered it a lot in my earlier life. I always had a real like curiosity about it. I'm not understanding that it was potentially like, you know, the a key to the universe, a key to understanding reality. It had like a mystery about it that I was open to and wanted to like play with. And then listening to Terrence McKenna talk about it, you could just, I could understand that there was like, it was a bigger thing. There was a healing part of it. It was a medicine. And so it, uh, I think I did have to learn a little bit the hard way, like I said, I'd spin out in my head and it wasn't working. Like I would understand the stuff, but then I would get still caught up and triggered or caught up in like this depression thing. So, uh, I think one or two trips that really pushed me back all the way to say that like, whoa, like really reality is there's so much that we don't understand. And there's a lot that it's, it's something else basically. And that, that, being forced into those positions where you you have to like get to get through a bad trip you have to come into your body with it like you have to accept the fear and die be if it's something that's attacking you be like all right i guess this is it and then it it moves through and your trip becomes easier and you start to get into a higher place so feeling that that's what was happening and and terrence does talk about that like move into the fear let it like succumb to it and then your trip is great uh and that just uh, yeah i understood that when i when I tried it, I understood it, it worked, you know, it right. started to move through. So then there was an intuition of just feeling that that is something that's true. I just uh, wanted to point out, and I have to point this out in a lot of people's readings, especially now, that there is some some force kind of intuitively, like as we are giving birth to ourselves, we are, there's an aspect of ourself kind of doing the doula work. Where it's like you, you like didn't necessarily connect those two things. There was like, oh, I was always curious about psychedelics, but like there was like a higher part of you that was like, kind of knew that this is what you needed. Like this was the next tool that you needed to put 
into action to get you through this process of giving birth to yourself. Yeah. And I think that's just the intuition. It's like that higher thing that's coming through, uh, communicates through your, your, uh, intuition. Yeah. So you also moved at the beginning, like right before this process started. Yeah. Which was an intuition thing for sure. It's like, and I didn't realize that until, I mean, a couple months ago that like, oh my, I moved to Nashville. I lived in LA for 10 years and the chaos of the band and all that fame and stuff. And then was just burnt out on it. Like I'd come home off tour and try to relax and check out. And I'm in the city with all these friends trying to hang out. And it's like, I could never do it. Um, so it's as if like something, yeah, in me knew that there was a big thing coming that I needed to be alone. I needed to have a l- little bit of a safe space to be able to deal with that stuff. And so, yeah, found myself in Nashville outside the city with like, you know, land and seclusion and a real safe place that I started to like a caterpillar and it's chrysalis. Yeah. And I've had many trips that like the last DMT trip, it was a whole thing. I was, it, I was basically a caterpillar, like about to, was it going through this process? I could just feel I was like about to break out of this thing, but it had to be this safe place to do that. Like I couldn't, I'm so tied into my surroundings uh, it becomes a part of the healing process. And so I had to be out here. That's what it feels like now. I came out here to kind of seclude myself and, and deal with all that stuff. So doing the trips here was like a big part of it. It made the place change, I think, and helped me have like a safe place to do it. Yeah. Um, but the intuition thing I've always, I don't know why I've just, in all the pivots of my life, like moving from uh, Florida to L.A., like, 18 like right out of high school was a thing a lot of people were like that what are you doing that's crazy and i had to like borrow a bunch of money to go to school things like but i always was like no there's there's something under here that i can't explain to you but i just have to do it you know nobody could talk me out of it somehow yeah and i quickly felt that that those were the right things because when i got to la and everything unfolded not like i thought it would i was going there to do film and i'd loved music and i'd done it for a while but i was like no film's my thing but really, it was like that was the thing to get me to L.A. And I quickly met somebody that made me realize, like, no, music is actually the thing I love. That's what I should do. Um, I had to just be open to the the intuition of pulling me out there for something else and then be open again. That That's not the right thing, you know. Yeah. And I just I couldn't explain it to anybody, but I, I knew I had something that I could trust. Um, and so that's yeah, that's very helpful in these parts where you, it's just based on intuition and you can't factually by everybody else's standards it's not going to look right but you have to just trust it you know it's kind of the flow thing it's being open to knowing it's being able to sense the flow because sometimes when i'm like describing things where i where i'm like locked into something like i knew when this is not happening was going to come out and there was no evidence of that and i wasn't like attaching to it i was like okay but like i'm willing to stay in the flow of whatever but i'm telling you that the flow is going to march like i can just feel it and knowing when to like jump and knowing when to just like let the thing carry you but then like sometimes you you're jumping because you think you're going to point a but as long as you stay open to life and open-minded to whatever happens next it carries you to point b but you just know like intuitively know point b is going to be awesome yeah so i'm not a lot of times we, uh, the A is the thing that makes us jump. And then when we don't get the A, the we miss the magic because we're like, oh, I thought I was going to get that. You know, I'm coming out of one of these things right now where I was like, I thought I was going to get this. And then I'm moving towards something else. And I'm like, oh, 
I get it. It's you know? way better than I could have imagined. Yeah. It, yeah. This B thing is so much better, but I ha- like I had to kind of A had to be a carrot. I had to be kind of tricked by that. Yeah. In order I had to chase that carrot to get the actual carrot, but it's not the carrot that I thought it was gonna be. And that's kind of it's kind of a playful like you have to be open to the playfulness of your guides and reality. Yeah, and, and that's the beautiful aspect of it. It always it's tricky, but it's tricky in the way like it's a constant like surprise birthday party. Yeah. It's like the best you think it's gonna be something else and then there's a pleasant surprise with something that you something that you actually did want, you just didn't know was gonna be there in a second, you know. So yeah, it can't cling to too many things because there's something better right around the corner, you know. Um that's true in every pivot that I've had, like how I got into Foster the People, why I came to LA, why I'm at right now, where I'm at. Like, <laughs> uh, and it's difficult. It's always, I trust it so much, but when I'm in the face of it and there is like the cliff and I have to jump, it's, it's seemingly impossible every time, you know? Yeah. And that's what's so beautiful about it because it's like it takes the, the gusto to be able to just really say yeah okay i'm gonna do it i still trust it and terrence mckenna that's the whole thing it's like knowing that you're gonna um i forget how he says it so poetic but uh knowing that like every time you jump off a cliff that you actually land in a feather bed like it has the fear up front but then you realize there's nothing to be really afraid of it's gonna catch you in the way you want it to be oh i thought you made up the feather bed thing Oh, I wish I gu- I could. Yeah, I guess you did tell me Terrence McKenna, but I didn't listen to that part. Um, yeah, so you were playing the game before you even knew that you were playing the game. Like that's an interesting thing too. Is that when I found out that reality wasn't real, just like when I found like I started doing drugs, I was like good at drugs immediately because I already kind of lived my life not super hinged to like the 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 already carved path. I already kind of I jumped off a ton of cliffs before that. I resonated more with that style of life. I didn't. I thought it was a character defect of mine that I couldn't just sit still and stay in the like pre-designated grooves of the path that everyone else was on. But then when it came time that it was like, oh, this is a game. It is fake. As I was waking up, I was like, oh, I'm already made for this. I already do this. I already know exactly how to be in this flow. So it does come a little more natural to me because I love jumping off cliffs. I love new and change and um, having a different movie every few years, you know? Yeah, but everybody, the culture says that's, fucking crazy and why are you changing why because it is it's that we're in schooling everything is like try do one thing stay in your lane don't ever get off you know yeah it's worker bee virtues it's not even our nature it's not our nature by a long stretch but we're programmed from childhood to be something that benefits someone else Mm -hmm. because then we can be used as batteries to fuel someone else's reality right and when you start to break free from that, you're like, oh, we are we naturally change. Like this is like our our nature. Yeah, nothing in nature is staying stagnant. It's right. always changing. It's always moving together. And yeah, yeah. So it's all um, fake. And then people who are good at starting things or people who change all the time, they have like this shame about it. Like they hate their own energy. That's a big part of the readings I do. Is just like listen to how cool this is. And it wasn't until like last. My last movie, it sounds like I'm an actress, uh, wasn't until my last production that I was like, oh, there are people who can't start things. 
there's an entire giant piece of the population that can't get something off the ground. I can get it off the ground. Giving a shit about it in a few years is a challenge because I'm like, well, I already did this. Why <laughs> yeah. are we still here? You know, <laughs> seeing things through. But it's a it's a it's a gift. It's a talent. It's an ability to be someone who can imagine something that doesn't exist yet or like take something out of the ether and bring it into the 3D reality or start things that that haven't been like laid out for them by someone else. And that's why it's so important to celebrate your own way of being because that is a gift, especially if it's different than what everyone else does. Yeah. And one way, I mean, you said imagine, like I think you said, I, I used to like doing something that you're not realizing you're doing. For me, I would escape into my imagination for problems. Like, um, I think just as a kid, being it's originally why I liked music is that it it like made me go somewhere else in my mind. And then getting into movies, the same thing. Like visuals combined with music, like in my head, I disappear, go somewhere else. The visuals are there, but I'm kind of like in my imagination somewhere. And so, I would spend a lot of the time imagining things that just were escapes for me and i didn't i i didn't aware i wasn't aware there was a power there that it was kind of pushing me into like things unfolding in my life and uh it, did, you, did you imagine yourself in a band yeah totally i mean when i was a kid it's in a weird way though like i when i if i've been asked that before i would actually say no because i didn't i loved music so much and i, I learned most of my drumming i mean i went i was in band and i had lessons and stuff but most of the stuff that i really like got educated from was listening to my favorite bands and playing along to it because uh, you could pick up all things you pick up timing you're basically playing to a click track you know you have like, right. a consistency and you're learning other people's inflections and stuff and so i would step into those places in my imagination like i'm the drummer of this band right now and so because it felt the best it just felt the most fun but i wasn't like i'm gonna be this is mark is going to do this someday i was just like it felt good in the time. It was healing and it was like an imagination thing. So yeah, it did. I did that a lot. Like with every song that I ever loved, I'd play it to the ground, like just over and over and over and over again and imagine that, that kind of thing. And then music became so emotionally activating. It was just, it would happen. Like I, and I would imagine myself, uh, not clearly on some stage in the band I want to be in as like the drummer or the lead singer. It was just a, essence of it you know that is actually um when i describe the two cut method a big part of it that i'm not sure that people listen to it's still so effective but is the you have to feel what it's like to be in that movie to be that character where just picturing yourself on stage in front of a bunch of people or like you know can be fantasy and there's a difference yeah. between fantasy and imagination in this context but rather feeling what it would feel like. This is why I talk about simple manifestation techniques for getting out of poverty is get all the things out of your house that make you feel poor. If your house is messy, you're more likely to feel like lack. Clean your house up. Get rid of all the extra shit. Get rid of things that like, um, you know, all my dishes are like 20 bucks from Target, but they all match. The silverware matches. When I start to lose silverware, I give it away and I get new silverware that matches because when I was a kid, we had a thousand different kinds of silverware and we ate cereal out of fucking margarine containers and I felt poor, you know, and if it, that doesn't make you feel poor, then don't worry about it. But like these are things that like I attributed with my poor uh, upbringing and the house was never warm. You know, it just immediately takes me back to like broken our like kitchen floor was like 
all the tile was peeled up and it like air would come up through it. Like the house was wrecked. My mom was a drug addict. There was like ants in the cereal and the trailer I was in and like all these things like hammered home the fact that I am playing a poor person in a movie. So to change those things, I was like, these things have to feel nice. Even if they're not expensive, they have to feel nice. It has to feel like when I go to my friend's house whose parents are rich, all their shit matches. And I feel different in their house. I feel like they are something different than I am. And so I figured out, like, you don't have to spend a ton of money to make these things feel this way. When things are clean and organized, there's a different sense uh, you know, like my my dad and stepmom were like middle class, like they had more money than than my mom, but there was still a fear of lack there, like hoarding things, holding on to things till they were falling out of cupboards because of this kind of sensation that if we let anything go, something else isn't going to come in. It was right. like energetically. So a lot of my learning how to step into abundance was came from this idea in recovery, which is if you want something, find someone who has what you want and do what they did. And so I'm like, okay, so in order to step into abundance, you have to like emulate rich people, which means get rid of your soul. Just kidding. Um, not rich people like inherited wealth, alt like um, elites. That's something different. That's its own parasitic thing. But like, you know, people who just have their needs met, they have a different air about them and you're kind of stepping into that. So stepping into what it feels like to be, you're like climbing inside of the avatar of someone who is an established musician. And instead of like this fantasy mental space thing, you're like feeling it and playing their music. Like that's such well, yeah. intense manifestation. I know. And that's what it was crazy about it. Like, as you're saying that I don't, I wasn't aware, like, for me, I think we all have keys to, like, our imagination, things that, like, encourage it. Yeah. And for me, it, it's music for sure, and it allows me to actually feel what it feels like. And so it was a kind of a triple thing. I'm imagining stuff with the emotion of that song because I only liked playing the stuff that emotionally triggered me that I really enjoyed. Right. And then that was a challenge to play to, but then I'm, yeah, I'm also stepping into that person in that band and trying to like be in that energy. So it's, yeah, that, and then my imagination of just feeling and dealing with my um, emotions at the time, whether that's struggle or whatever, and allowing it to come into that like pure place. So <clears throat> that is kind of why, I mean, the things that I, I was not aware that that was happening and it, but it was like healing me or just keeping me balanced in a lot of parts of my life. And I took the carrot to go out to do film, but like I had already had so much manifestation power in something that I was like a part of doing. And that's why it was like, come to LA, go to school for six months, and then you're going to have this band thing that's going to like totally like make you feel fulfilled, you know, because I was doing all through high school, like doing that. And, and then the time that I finally had freedom and went on, it was like pretty immediately that I stepped into like music is my thing. Oh my God, you know, and here's, a wonderful opportunity right in front of you that came um like when i met those guys the first band i was in it was very uh unavoidable like i just i met them so quick and like the timing was so perfect that i could fulfill what they needed it was just like a perfect scenario that i again had to trust the intuition that was like oh it's not film it's music look at this how could i say no to this yeah and how much time was between that band and foster the people uh about five years Five and a half, like five or six years. So you were in that band for five whole years. Yeah. And then how much, and then you just went from one to the other? 
kind of. It was a fringe thing where I met Mark near the end of that band. I basically started to be, like realize I was unhappy, and I, I had set a time limit on myself. Like when I got into the band, uh, one of the guys was the oldest guy was very old to me to be starting a new band. I was like eighteen, you know, and so I remember I said to my sister at the time, like if I'm that age uh and this band isn't like hasn't become some kind of success for me that i needed to leave and so please remind me of that and sure enough like a month before i turned 25 she we had dinner and she was like hey remember that thing <laughs> and i was like oh well, 25 God. Is so old <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was so in line with my unhappiness i was i was debating it and not being able to take the leap and when she did that i was like all right here we go and and uh I did that, but just before that, with that unhappiness, I had talked to my man, our manager at the time, and said, "Like, hey, if you have any other people that need drummers or just to play, I just I want to be busy with some other music." And immediately, he, his friend, his uh, another manager friend was managing Mark, and they needed a showcase for something. It wasn't even; it was just to do one show with him for a label showcase for his music. And so we got together, and that showcase never happened, but we hit it off immediately, and so. I was committed to the other band, but me and him had a side thing where we could just, and for me, it, it was so effortless. It was like exactly what I needed. And again, that just started taking off so quick, but I was still committed to the band. And so then my sister got me out of that. And then, yeah, within, I mean, we had been, me and Mark had been, we had, the other person had gotten into the band. So it was me, Mark, and Cubby. We didn't even have a name, but we were playing all of Mark's music and trying to change it around to make it a band thing. And then it had fizzled out because I was committed to the band and just Mark couldn't really get either of the other guys to like of us in it to commit enough. So he was about to leave and dissolve that project, go to London and like start new. And uh, I mean, we hadn't we hadn't like talked for three months or something. And uh, I left the band, and like two days later, he called me to say, hey, I'm leaving. We're dissolving this project or whatever. I'm going to go move on to London. And I was like, interesting, because I just left that. I left Malbec finally. And he was like, what? You did what? <laughs> and we got together that night to talk through it, and, and we kind of so started to focus on it a little bit more. And uh, I feel like it was just a month later, maybe, a month or two later, that he wrote Pumped Up Kicks. And everything just the ball started rolling, and it was like you couldn't stop it. Holy shit! Yeah, so there were so many little fringe moments there. Like, had I not, I mean, I met Mark while I was in the other thing, and it allowed me to see, like, whoa, this is what I'm been looking for, and it's I can compare it to this other thing right now because I'm so close, and like this is so true. So it allows me to easily kind of step out of that with some confidence, feel it, and then and then jump into it. And as I, I mean, it was like to the days, a couple days in between that things lined up so perfectly. So uh, those yeah. fringe moments. It's all about the fringe, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just while you were talking, um, thinking about image setters. And um, I want to do a side thing real quick. People are, um, I talked earlier in the podcast about the aliens explaining image setters and arsenal. And now I, everything was so linear for me. And now that I'm further into energy, I understand more of what they're saying is that these are just energies that kind of hit the planet through all of us. I think ultimately we are all 
have image setter or arsenal or something it's like what what do you dedicate it like what makes your heart sing and so a lot of people are trying to figure out are they this and this so like artists obviously your image setters right but like you can be image setters whose art tears down the old system but then you have like the sjw's which are social social justice warriors for people i'm uh for those of you that live such a charmed life that you've never heard that term people are like what is that what ascension term is that and i was like holy fuck what bubble do you live in that's amazing i wish i lived in it too um so people who have like torn down the old constructs by changing the conversation around things like sexism rape culture white privilege and then SJW is kind of, I don't know if it once was a positive thing, but it's kind of just used as an insult uh, by people who resist this change. And there are some social justice warriors who tend to cannibalize each other, which I, um, because they are arsenal energy, they're just here to eat old shit away and that's it. And so like if, if they are carrying old programming, they do it to each other, which was the example that I used in the podcast. But that doesn't mean that everyone is one or the other. But image setters in their purest form, and we're not there yet, are people who can create reality through their art. And everyone can do this. And I've used this as a manifestation technique where I will write a show. And then my and then like a couple years later, I wrote a show called um virtual reality that I'm now turning into an online comic. And there were funny things in the show that like my, it was just like that my character was surrounded by 25 year old guys. Cause it was a funny part of the show. And then I look at my friend roster now and I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> Cause that was, <laughs> that was like not part of my life before I wrote that show. I just thought it was, it matched some other like story. I thought it was funny. Like what is, what is a middle-aged woman who has can manifest anything manifest? And it was, I was describing the show to my friend Xtina, and I was like, so they go to her apartment, and it's completely empty, and the furniture's all garbage, but it's like a nice apartment, but it's like she has done, and she goes, is this a documentary? Because <laughs> my house is just like nice, but like I don't get, I clearly don't give a fuck. About, we're sitting on patio furniture in my living room. And... um Anyway, so I've also like written poems just to kind of like push reality into a thing because reality is just the manifestation of art that we create. And that Prince thing that I've talked about, like that's about image setters yeah. creating art on a loop, like creating art about reality we'd already seen because this was a phase at the end of the 90s where we were really creating art about the tragedy we were already in. And... um Anyway, I was sitting here thinking about like you as an image setter because you are an artist, you're an image setter. And so because you you've like un, like without even knowing it, we're creating your own reality with art. And then something happened where I remembered this podcast from a dream. This podcast? Yeah. You were talking right as I had the image setter thing. And then I remembered like the dream where Whoa. I dreamt about you and the carrot thing is something that we've talked about before because i talk about the carrot like mm -hmm. the real like your higher self uses carrots to like lead Holy you forward. into things yeah, and you yeah. have a carrot tattooed mm -hmm. on your totally. wrist god. and so i was sitting here and was like i remembered that and then i was like oh my god the carrot duh and then you said carrot like a second later while i was in the deja vu of the dream so um, anyway, yeah. See, this is what crazy. happens. Synchronicities start to line up where there, there's the lag between where it happens and you're like, that's, you know, that's a real thing or whatever. Where you, where it's, it's, 
as you get around people that resonate, it starts to really line up like minutes after or right on the money. You know, yeah. you're thinking something in your head and then the other person says it. You're like, what the? F-? Yeah, I love synchronicities as a confirmation. Mm-hmm. It's how the reality talks back to you when you're creating it. It's like the conversation that you have because you can't look outside of yourself for what is real anymore in that you can't, the old model was like get people to tell you that you're right or that you're good or that you're valid. And that's why when you would have a fight with your significant other, you call your friends and then you need your friends to agree with you in order to feel valid. And that's why when your parents didn't accept who you really were, you put all those pieces of yourself in your shadow. And uh, this is the old model, which brings me to something I want to get into with you. It's the old model of what is real. Like we want uh, double bind, whatever the fuck, you know, we want science to confirm things for us. We want other people to confirm things for us. And if you really want to play this game the way that it's meant to be played and at the maximum potential that you can play it, you have to resign to the fact that you're not going to get that confirmation from other people, at least not all the time. A lot of like my goal with this podcast is to validate people's experience where it's not being validated by other people. But, um, it you have to trust yourself and when you trust yourself there's something built into the game where the synchronicities are the thing that tell you like they mirror the things back they're so, your best friend really yeah they're the real friend you need to like filter things through and trust yeah and they when they start and so by synchronicities i mean one 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 two 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 but there's like for me i use metaphors like everything in my life is metaphors i talk in metaphors i talk yeah. in parables i use like Uh, I draw from stories and stuff. And so there's all this metaphor built into my life on kind of a rolling, changing thing. Like metaphors I I resonated with two years ago aren't the same metaphors I'm talking about. But when I am talking about a carrot being the thing that like leads you into the reality that is meant for you. You're chasing this carrot. You think you want this thing and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, things come into your life and then it has that synchronicity there or the owl or the snake or the any of the synchronicities that keep popping up because that thing means something to you. Yeah. The thing that I use as an example last year when I was going through this breakup, um, on the trajectory in my mind, I, I knew that I was going to be mourning in June And then I knew that something huge was going to happen by the end of the summer where I was going to be kind of this phoenix rising from the ashes. And so I I used that metaphor repeatedly, like I know that I'm going to be deep in it in June, but then I have this kind of phoenix rising from the ashes. Now I'm two weeks into it, which is three years in Jessa time. And I'm like, am I ever going to see the other side of this? And then I don't remember the exact date now, but I'm walking down the street and I'm just kind of deep in this pain. And there's a poster for Dark Phoenix. It was a movie coming out and it came like it was June 28th or whatever. And so I knew that like I would turn a corner on that date. I think it was actually June 16th and I turned a different corner. But by the end of June, I found out I was codependent and I had this like I now had a map to get myself out to, to, to get that. But like I have to be able to trust myself that these synchronicities are are the thing for me to communicate with. They're like the thing that make people think they're going insane in the beginning. Right. Because you, you can't not see them. Yeah, totally. There's an interesting thing that comes up to me when you said uh, you, you, live your lif- you live your life through a lot of myths. Like that's how you relate to yeah. the synchronicities and stuff. 
which seems like that's like the best way I think, cause I do that as well. Um, there's a lot of number things too that resonate. You just have to like trust what resonates, but the, I think there's something that happens with, if you're living your life through myths, myths are archetypal in our, and, and people and like who we are as humans, they're throughout every generation. And it's a weird, it's like a myth kind of be, can become a, it's an artistic thing if you look at it, because uh, it's told through stories that are relating, you know, humans to nature. So that's like their fire or their animals and things like that. It provides a broader uh, like foundation or stage to be able to use those things because art can be used to, uh, you can understand it in different ways, you know, like it can communicate more than just words on a page that's so linear and it's very limited. So right. if a myth is, if you can see it as an art form in a way to tell stories or uh, unfold like elements of reality, if you're living your life by that and trying to connect those things, those things are in archetypically like in our culture. And so the movie like that they made they made somebody's making that movie with the phoenix is they're tapped into these myths that are just in it's like you can't avoid it we're doing that and if you start to look close you see our government is like living out a myth of the past right um and we the ascension is a as a myth of the past and so you can there are these uh like uh patterns of energy that you can kind of tap into so if you're living your life in your own myth and you're tapped into like getting those symbols through like you see a billboard with a huge bouquet of flowers on it and you but you're thinking about mandalas and you're tapped into the mandala aspect of the east and stuff that flower can represent something like big in your life if you're tuned into those things yeah where you wouldn't see it normally it's just freaking bouquet of flowers but uh living your life like that life is uh, an art form like you can do it in an artistic way and have aesthetics and do those things and you if you're following that it provides a bigger stage for your higher self to kind of get these inf get the information into and, and follow uh follow your intuition and in, in that you know do you use them as cheat codes i've just started to, re to realize that you can do that because if you start to yeah like i haven't so much yet i don't think but a lot of the stuff i do i don't realize i'm doing so maybe <laughs> Yeah, well, because it's like, um, I can't think of an example right now, but a lot of people are like, how do I talk to my guides? I don't know why my impression of you guys is always so fucking <laughs> high-pitched. <laughs> <laughs> how do I talk to my guides? <laughs> but a lot of it for me is synchronicities. Like a lot of the communication that I'm having with like higher aspects of myself or whatever, the aliens, is through synchronicities. And... I just trust that conversation. But when there is mythology that I'm following or like I'm currently living out, like when I first woke up, you know, I was like, I'm Osiris. And I don't think that, I don't think these higher energies or these like God archetypes are what we think they are. I don't think, I think that those energies come down to earth to play and like they can only play with certain like avatars that are, you know, open to it or like are, can play as well but i don't think like the avatar is the the god i don't think that that's what it is but yeah. when you're playing out an archetype of this god that god has kind of an arc yeah you know what i mean there's so a pattern can, of energy yeah yeah that's what that's what i think i've started to lock into to see that there's different times in our life that will resonate with different energies depending right. on our level and when you can in the synchronicities line up like i think 
I'm resonating in this pattern right now. You can look. <laughs> it's so cute. Um, I don't remember what I was saying. Uh, um, different patterns of energy. Yeah, and, when... and that's how you can kind of hack it because you can see, oh, well, the, I can look in the books and see how the myth unfolded and then see where I'm at in that potentially. Right. And then you can kind of see potentially where your future energy pattern will be. It's not going to unfold in the same way, but energetically it will. Right. Um, but I've just started to do that, so I haven't, you know. I feel like I have uh, ordinarily would have great examples of ways that I've used. Um, I feel like ordinarily, ordinarily, I have great examples, the best examples, always the best examples. But I don't, I can't think of one off the top of my head right now, where I just know how something's going to play out because of the metaphors that are like in the room. Yeah. Well, interesting. So back kind of to the story, I didn't finish totally up where. Yeah. Because there's a, it crosses into what we're saying. Because I basically, I, I just started, YouTube became like an oracle of, of sorts. I would follow uh, different lectures that came up. But then within Terrence McKenna and Alan Watts, they're always referencing other uh, intellectual people or whatever. And so I found my way to call young, I think through Alan Watts, um, and started resonating with a lot of that. And he's all about myths and archetype and all these things. And so I got to the Red Book finally and started reading that and it i mean it's just a mind blower it's a whole i think that thing is a it's a very direct like alchemical process the the story and also if you read it and apply it it kind of does alchemy to you in a way interesting that's and that's so as i was reading it uh like in the middle of it i by this time had kind of understood like to apply things so i'm reading it uh on tour at this time on tour, I'm not like doing anything but hanging out in my hotel room, seeking stuff like reading, uh, lectures, meditating, whatever it is. And uh, that book, when I started applying stuff immediately, I would read it all day. And it's so dense, it sometimes take a whole day for one page. And then I kind of integrate it and stuff started to actually happen. And that was from that book, as I finished it, um, I had like two big supernatural kind of mystical experiences that were you know, it's big confirmations and everything, but we're very much built on like trusting the, the communication I was getting through myth stuff, right? Like, like seeing in my dreams, a lot of my dreams became vivid within the stories of the book and were my own versions, you know, but like seeing things like frogs in my dream had a different, um, message for me now that I was open to this myth things and that there was different ways to communicate um, through the myths, but still individual for each person, you know, right. like Carl Jung's whole, the red book is, there's a lot of his, um, growing up and the religion that he did, there's like Catholic Christian stuff. And so a lot of his, when he unfolds it in that book, it's in the images of Jesus and Moses and, and all these other people. But for me, it's not gonna, it might not necessarily be that same way if Christianity wasn't my like thing that resonated with me. Right. Um, which it did kind of, but I think in my synchronistic stuff, it's not Christian. It's something else. It's like, yeah, there is something weird though about the tribe that like whatever energetically programmed signature, uh, there's words in a line um, <laughs> that the group of people that I resonate with are like 97% did some group of time in religion, in Christianity, Mormonism, something like this, where they did learn the Bible because I do think there's secret information in the Bible. Yeah. 
And that's like, that's what's amazing. Like that Carl Jung thing, the Red Book is, oh, it's just, I can't talk enough good stuff about it. At least for me, it did so many things. But that, that was one huge thing where he was unfolding myths about the Bible in a different way that were just, there was still the truth from the Bible, but they were understood in a different way. And that really did crack where I had left Christianity in a way that I was like, you know, forget all of this stuff. It's all fake because I got burned. And then to come back around through a different avenue, through somebody like Carl Jung intellectually explaining it, but still like spiritual and woo in a way that I could, I was like, I came back to Christianity in an accepted way that I was like, well, there's actually so much truth in this, but the way culture's looking at it, there's so many distortions around it. And uh, so it has, yeah, and, and just having that book, that was like, it, it cracked open the whole synchronicity thing for me. The supernatural experience was confirmation and trusting all of that through the book. And I had weird commute, like a lot of weird things that happened between me and the people in the band that were like eerily lining up with stuff in the book. Um, just being really, that allowed me to be open to almost any possibility of synchronistic moments. Like someone coming into your life for five minutes at a gas station has a, the ability, there's like a huge lesson there if you're open to it. Right. Um, that, so that really cleared the like stage for moving forward and trying to, my seeking was going to be a little bit different. It wasn't just the YouTube Oracle or podcast. It was like doing that reality, stuff, but then reality is the thing. Yeah. And, and that's where then you start to get like the way, a lot of the things that you, how you talk about things, getting downloads and like getting this information from seemingly nowhere. Uh, I never could like understand that, I, I always thought it was just in the books and the lectures right. and stuff. But when you really start to open up, it's like, you, damn, there's times where you can, if you're meditating or doing whatever thing that makes you get into that imagination, it's like all of a sudden you have all this information that you did not read, you didn't hear it. It's just there. You know? Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, then things start to to take off. But you still have to trust yourself in those things because it's hard to communicate how that to somebody else that it's to be trusted, you know, right. Nobody else can trust that. Uh, so yeah, that, and then I, um, how was your April to July of 2019? Have we caught up to the 2019? Yeah, pretty much. Cause that was the red book was the end of 2018 in South America. It's also cool that you're like all over the planet around all these different energies it is while doing this is such an interesting alchemy yeah and it is i didn't realize in the moments i would have i'd be so changed by the different places we're in and particularly south america is there's something down there for for me like whenever i'm down there there's this odd nostalgia melancholy thing um that is just so debilitating in a lot of the ways but when i was down there in the seeking thing it was so helpful and I think that's why the supernatural thing happened down there. It was in Brazil. Brazil, there's something there. Every time I'm there, it's like a weird. Um, like past life thing or something? It feels, it's starting to feel like that. Like when I didn't know it at the time, the nostalgia, it's just, that's the only word I can use to describe it. It's just, it's good, but it's, like it feels all right, but it's also just like heavy and yeah. emotional for some reason. Um, but yeah, there's definitely... I started to use like the the trips in the end. I mean, at the end of 2018 and 2019, I was pretty like unhappy in all the touring. And so I wanted to be home seeking stuff. But I, I realized as I was going out and because I was obsessed with it, I wouldn't go hang out. I would just be in my hotel room. 
I was growing on the road in these different energies and the different like places of the world. So I'd come back home so changed every time because of that. Like I just had a, it was like a, it really uh, expedited everything. Yeah. But it was difficult because then I realized every time I left home, I was like saying goodbye to the place in a weird way. I felt this like, I'm never going to come back. A lot of times I thought I was just going to die on the plane or something. I was like, oh, this is, I'm never going to come back here probably. God, when I was waking up, the sensation now that I recognize, and now we talk about a lot about the death and rebirth that happens in life a million times. But when you're going through the awakening, like you die over and over and Mm -hmm. over again. But I kept... I died once in January of 2000 and then it was almost every month when I was in that seeking, you know, I was trying to figure out who I was. I was like, I came back and I was, I'm something like if I could describe the sensation, it was like, I'm something important. I was having all this alien school stuff, but like my mind didn't have categories of reason for this yet. So like now I can look back and tell you the story of how I was being trained for this thing. And I did say yes to this thing, but something about me saying yes to doing that job gave me the sensation that I'm something important that I have to remember. And I didn't know about any of this stuff. I didn't know about gods or aliens or like I I had such a limited understanding of the world that I lived in because I've always been kind of a space cadet and I had so much trauma that it was like most of my life was about these traumatic life experiences I was having. And so there was so much seeking to do. I never I never paid attention in school. I didn't know like every single thing left like I was like learning what the states in the country were because every single thing felt like it could have a clue so I'm just like seeking and seeking and seeking and through that I I would feel the credits rolling is the only way I know how to describe the sensation to where it's like oh I'm gonna die again and then I wouldn't die but I um now know that it was like oh I was sensing another like rebirth thing yeah yeah and that's what it took me a while to understand that's what was happening and then and then like near the end of it we, and we hadn't we haven't toured for like a year and a half i spent a long time and so i keep saying near the end of that because i just again it feels like i die every time so it feels like a de- separate movie but, life yeah yeah but um i i realized the power of it like something that i hated being on the road and being away from my home um was something that i was like resisted to but as i started to feel the change every time i came back it was a good thing and i you i realized I could utilize the aspect of being in a different place every day, in a different energy while working through stuff. It's hard. I mean, it was difficult, but you get more out of it. Like you're able to be in a different energy and deal with a pain in a different place. You know, I yeah. don't know. There's something that happened. And um, right as it was going down, I was like, that. I mean, this is a, because again, Terrence, Terrence McKenna explains the idea of a, a way to find yourself is through, I mean, psychedelics, but then he was drawing the line of like a psychedelic trip is called a trip. And when we go on a vacation or we travel, we call it a trip. And that removing yourself from your comfort zone in your home and going into these other energies and different cultures, you get so much out of your, uh, by understanding yourself as you move back to your comfort zone and realize like the uh, diversity and in, in the world with energy and people and all of that those things it's if if you can do that you know a lot in your life like take a couple of years and just travel you come back very very different like no yeah. matter what you do um and so i didn't realize it but again i was just seeking myself being very vulnerable and traveling the world and being in those things was 
so helpful. I think it's why within like a two year period, I made, I just, I changed a lot, man. And it was, uh, it was because I had all this synergy of what was happening, you know? Um, that's crazy. I always attributed like that I had to go do drugs, not, I mean, I did think that the, the drugs, cause I was also doing a shit ton of psychedelics at that point in my life, but it was the leaving society that created the nest for me to wake up in Yeah, because um, I needed to be outside of society to have the freedom to do it. But it was also that society is that like embedded groove. Right. And so, so the, all the resonance that's around you is like this one thing, this one thing, this one thing. And by taking me out and putting me kind of in chaos where a lot of my awakening was happening in like crazy life experiences, but I was in this bubble. When you're waking up, it, you're just like in a bubble. It doesn't matter that you're uh, playing a concert in front of a bunch of people or in the middle of a police raid. Yeah. It's like right now I am decoding the birth chart of Jesus. Like I don't know <laughs> uh, what you guys want from me right now. Like I'm not actually here. And uh, But there was something about being outside of stability and normalcy that really lets you kind of see behind the curtain yeah. of quote unquote stability and normalcy. Yeah, for sure. So how was your April through July? You don't have to make something up if there was nothing real, but I always like to ask that question because it was such a strange portal for a lot of us. In 2019? Mm-hmm. April's when everything, it was like a huge retrograde where everything went retrograde. So everything was up for review yeah. in a way that like, uh, everything changed and then July was the 5D download where suddenly like energy exchanges became obvious. Not suddenly, that's when we got the download and then we started integrating it. But over the next few months, the energy exchange becoming obvious changed the way that we all related to each other. Yeah. The way that people's April to July played out is so interesting to hear people's different version of it. Because astrologically, what happened was Saturn, Jupiter, Mercury, everything went retrograde at once in a way that like threw everything into uh, like review. So it ended up like it changed the entire course of my life that few months in a way that like I didn't see it when it was happening but even in this, like, I was in, like, a difficult out-of-resonance relationship that was also a business relationship. And our whole careers were enmeshed together in a way that there was no option of getting out. That Like, we weren't even thinking about getting out because we were like, well, this is this. We have to figure out how to make this either a relationship or a friendship, like, however. But it just kept, like, pulling us into these, like, same cycles. And then we kind of hit this moment where we were boyfriend and girlfriend and we're in a relationship and we're making that work. And then we move into this energy, which I think, I want to say it was April 21st or 20th. It was like, boom, 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 boom. These planets all go retrograde. And then boom, we're in this like kind of fog where for us, it was like a breakup. It was like a breakup, but then we were like, we we're like on tour together for the next few months. So I think we were broken up for like seven days in April and then we were like let's just get back together and get to mid-May and then break up for real so then we had just this like this like honeymoon phase because we're breaking up so it's like great but what's happening there underneath all of that because I was so focused on the relationship is my career is also about to completely like change into something else then we 
uh, May 16th, we break up, but we were in this breakup moon, we were calling it, because it was just this like beautiful, everything I ever wanted, I was getting because he was leaving. So he was fine giving it to me, <laughs> so crazy, you know, and I wasn't activated at all because I knew it was going to end. When we were trying to like bypass our attachment systems, I was like, why don't we just be boyfriend and girlfriend in six month increments and be like, okay, this is scheduled to break up on September 15th. Like this is, this is what a relationship is when it's out of resonance and you just like, <laughs> I thought that this was okay, you know, like this is good. We'll break up on September 15th and then that way neither of us are activated because like, you know, it'll be over and I already know it'll be over. So I don't have to worry about it being over. Um, but anyway, so we're in this like breakup moon and this is like euphoric. And then, um, and then we consciously go into a breakup. Like we know that it's coming. And so like I had like hired a therapist and I had all these things like ready to go to like kind of cushion it. And then I go into like six weeks of like deep mourning. But in that I find out I'm codependent. Meanwhile, we're like separated. So I'm not on the road. So I need some other income. Oh, I did the cups. Oh my God. I did the cups on April 20th. And everything in my life fell apart within 48 hours. Um, the first breakup, the uh, but I also think I did the cuffs when the first planet went retrograde without knowing it because I didn't know that much about astrology. Still don't. Damn, the timing though of the cuffs is great. Yeah. The portal is a portal, right? And I also don't know any of this at the time. I don't really think I put together until July that we were in an ascension again, that I was in an ascension again. I think this whole time I'm experiencing all this crazy life experience, this twin flame thing, everything else. And I don't know that I'm on this thing. And it wasn't until Soberish changes, but like Soberish was supposed to be an addiction podcast that was supposed to be something to get money. Like I'm in this like washing machine that's like changing the entire course of my life over these four months. And I don't even I don't even know it until afterwards. And then we get the 5D downloads and then I'm like, oh, shit. But this ultimately led to me. I didn't want to be publicly woo. I didn't want to be called crazy. I didn't want to be accused of starting a cult. I didn't want any part of it. Yeah. So these were all things I was like afraid of and kind of having a standoff with. And then that changed uh, whatever. So that all happened between April 20th and like July 2nd or something it was all of these like my relationship gone, my career changed because it killed the timeline with more the old podcasts. We didn't close it out for six months, but that really was the death of that timeline. Completely the death of that timeline. Um, did your perception of energy exchanges change around the summer? Like yeah. the way that you interact with people? Like it, it became so loud when things didn't resonate. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, that was already starting to happen to me. I mean, I only had... I had like two friends in Nashville that I could like talk to. Everybody else, it was so difficult to get any kind of communication or resonance happening with anybody. Um, so I, I mean, in dealing with that, like trying to, I, I isolated myself to be honest, a lot of it um, because it was hard to, it just didn't feel like when I'm talking to other people that are at a, some other resonance, lower resonance or something, it, it just is a taxing thing. It's like, wears you down or something um as i was trying to understand like what that why do i not like the, do i not like this person anymore or what yeah. am i is it him is it me am i changing until i started to realize because there were a couple of friends that did resonate i was like oh it's the there's new ideas in front of us all the time when we get together where with these other people it's like i'm i have to work to talk to you and communicate the things i don't even care about you know 
Yeah, I kind of feel like I think about this with like the uh, Mandela effect and stuff that like because reality was this feedback loop for so long where we all watched the same eight TV channels and, you know, then eventually we had cable and we all watched the same 30 TV channels. But there were like still the same basic ideas being pumped into reality. There wasn't a ton of fringe. There were like alternative ways, but they didn't get a lot of there was a lot of access to them. Everybody was kind of collectively in the same perception of what reality is. And the Internet kind of started to slowly break this up. And we started to be able to get access to art that was outside of the art that was being like like mass fed to the collective and people be uh, started to like wake up a little bit and then had the ability to exist on different timelines from each other. And then I think what it is, is like, even though you might be standing physically in the physical reality in front of another person, you are playing a different game. And so the people who feel like the extras in the movie are just like people. I used to say there's a thousand of us on the planet. And then the way that you live in Tennessee and all these people who have played in past movies of yours are also in Tennessee now is like, uh, would it would have been like, I would have been like, there's a thousand people on this fucking planet. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but now I think there are like, there are people playing a million different games on this planet. And those, all those games are set to different frequencies. And the extras in your movie are people on a different frequency than you. So they're like on the outside, they're bagging your groceries. They're, you know, they're the businessmen walking down the street. They're the elites, whatever. I hate that fucking word, the parasites, but they're not in your movie so that you can see them, but they're like NPCs for you. Right. And then, um, which is non-playable character, which is something that someone told me about two weeks ago. And now I use it as if, um, I'm super familiar, but that's because they're playing on a different frequency. And as we started to really diversify the amount of frequencies and timelines available, these people that we used to resonate with, they're playing on a different timeline. So it is kind of painful to yeah. interact with them. Besides the fact that the conversations suck when you want to talk about, uh, I hate small talk. It actually hurts me to have small talk because it's just, I'm faking right now. I don't give a fuck what I'm talking about and I'm pretending to give a fuck about the weather or whether or not I live in LA versus New York for like your benefit, which you probably don't like it either. Like I hate it. I never, it's just a social anxiety nightmare for me. Uh, if we're not going to talk about something real and I don't mean that like it is talking about something real, but the out of resonance with someone even that you used to resonate with is because they are on a different timeline than you. So there's something painful about the lack of gravity yeah, or attraction pulling you into that thing. And then the two different like, I would love to hear what the music of that sounds like. These two things trying to be together right now, but they're actually repelling each other. Right. But then you have like guilt and shame or whatever the fuck is trying to make you stay in this like, well, this person was my best friend forever. I used to love this person or whatever trying to stay in it. And it's excruciating. Yeah, it's so difficult. Is it? And, it, and then is the juncture then you have to cut those people out of your life <laughs> or is it the, you know, is it a different understanding of the relationship? You know, there's... A, it can resonate in just a little bit of a, a way or, or do you keep it in intact enough to benefit each other from it? But I don't know. I think for me, cause this is like a constant thing in readings right now. It's just me telling people to quit their job and like break up and fucking like let go of their family, whatever. And what I really advise is like check the energy of it. 
why are you still at this job? Are you still at this job because you're afraid of something? Are you afraid of what people will think? Are you afraid you won't be able to survive? You know, clear the energy around that. Why are you still hanging out with someone that you're not in resonance with? It's usually because you're afraid of being a bad person. Yeah, it's usually afraid. Totally. Uh, like you're clinging to something. I was clinging to a relationship that was completely out of resonance and was doing like this person didn't love me. And if I'm being honest, now I'm starting to like come to the part of healing where I was like, was I still in love with this person? Right. This person had, or was I in love with something that they were in the first six months that they hadn't been in a really long time? Like the thing I fell in love with was that this person was down as fuck for like higher dimensional stuff. And they stopped being that a long time ago. And so I was in love with a fantasy idea of them. I was in love with a potential of like some honeymoon phase shit that they hadn't been in a really long time. Right. And so now I was just kind of like the way that I love is dangerous and that I will just like imprint on everything. And so like I won't recognize. But, but was I attached to that? No, I was attached to what it says about me that this person doesn't love me. And so I have to stay and wait for them to love me because otherwise... I really worthless. Yeah. It's interesting for me. I, I struggle with the, with friends and things that are, I start to realize that, Oh, we're not seeing eye to eye anymore. We're not resonating. I tend to like, I'll ghost them too much. You know, the ghosting yeah. thing is for me, I'm pretty passive in a lot of things. And so I, I think there's a good, there's a good part of being passive with people. It allows like things to unfold, but the ghosting thing is obviously gets a little bit, shitty to people and but then you're you're faced with like okay yeah the reason i don't want to leave this is because i'm afraid of being an asshole and and yeah there's no way out of this but looking like an asshole because i have to tell somebody that i've had a like past with that, like i think we've just grown to different people you know it's like a breakup of sorts yeah and that's so difficult um but the ghosting nature of it kind of prolongs that thing it's almost more painful in a way i think i was kind of like that i think i'm so I move around so much that I just naturally kind of experience friendships in small waves, but I definitely never want to hurt anyone's feelings. And so I, um, I let things get bad in relationships and don't tell them like, Hey, it's bothering me that you do yeah. this. I just kind of, ba I like slowly back out of things, not very slowly back out of things in a way that like I've had several friendships where they're like how come we haven't talked in seven months and it's like i know that they did something that freaked me out and so like yeah. i just disappeared but um yeah i do kind of slowly back out of things that don't resonate anymore the cool thing about this new wave of people in my life is that you know we're kind of starting these friendships and stuff with this like hey man we're resonating right now and it's almost like we're going to get to say there's so much autonomy in this new world where it's like hey I don't resonate with this can we stop this or like but like not like trying to force each other to be anything different yeah. it's just kind of like hey I honor who you are in this you know that's just so great talking about it up front and then setting the precedent like we're gonna talk about this as it goes yeah it's so so healthy man um one thing I wanted to, two things I want to say. Um, I talk a lot about ascension templates. I don't know if I talk about it on the podcast, but how there's these different ways that people wake up. So twin flame is one of them where you just have this excruciating mirror of a relationship that brings all your stuff to the surface so you can kind of like clear it 
Right. And some of these run concurrent. Other ones are near-death experience. Other ones are, um, uh, that's it. Those are, those are my two. So there's the only ones I remember. <laughs> but one that I always thought has to be the scariest is getting everything that you want and finding out that there's no happiness on the other side of that. And when you told me your story, I was like, oh, shit, that's the scariest um, thing. And I can almost hear people when I say this thinking like, you know, it almost seems like it's a place of privilege, you know, that like, oh, how are you not grateful for those things? But like we're as long as you have hope, as long as you have something you're striving for, there's like there's a way to like postpone your growth, your yeah. death to be like, oh, I'll be happy once I get fame. Oh, I'll be happy once I get love. Oh, I'll be happy once I get this. And as long as you have that kind of like carrot to chase, you get to there's there's hope. And once you've attained all those things and you get to that finish line and it's like oh shit, then the real, f and this is why I think we see so many famous people just sink yeah. into this despair because there's nothing on the other side of that. Dude, it's it's so tough. There's no way to, uh, <clears throat> yeah, find that out except, except going through it. And the, yeah, it's like really sneaky. You know, I mean, those first four years of the band were just so insane. I mean, there was a the momentum that that one song caused and we like were barely a band together. We had to get so much of our shit together so quick to catch up with that momentum. And it felt like once we had finally gotten signed and we finished the record and we were going to go on tour, there was so much momentum already and there was all this mystery around it because we accidentally didn't have like a, a website that had a lot of information, which that's a whole other conversation because it's incredible. It was magic at its finest happening uh, accidentally. Um, but <clears throat> it... Uh, that catching up with that momentum, we had to work really hard, but we just found ourselves so quickly in like everything we wanted. It was, you know, sold out shows, um, popularity like everywhere and money and, and all the things that come with it. Um, and it was great for a long, for a while. I mean, you just, you can obviously play with that for as long as you want in your life. But I definitely had this, like I said, there was something that happened between my that first band Malbec and then Foster the People where there was a moment of a quietness within myself that was terrifying but I was going to start to try to like find myself because I was right. broken and and then when the Foster the People thing happened it just that kind of put got put on the back burner and I went into it and then as the there was some point like halfway through I mean we had been you know every country I'd ever wanted to be in met famous people met my idols and they loved our band you know feeling that fulfillment of like somebody you look up to and why you play music and they like what you do is like is crazy it's so fulfilling um <clears throat> yeah and having all those and then i actually you know where now that i think about it the first time i actually felt maybe that there was some sorrow behind this that i had gotten these things but like why am i still happy is I'm a very, I need to be alone. I'm an introvert, so I need to be alone uh, to recharge. And throughout those three years, it was like no, no time to do that. Right. Um, I didn't have a, ha I mean, we were just never home. And uh, so at the end of it, I decided over New Year's and my birthday to go to um, Costa Rica by myself just to like check back in and figure out what was going on. And, uh, yeah, it was a very, again, it was in the first thing in South America. It was like nostalgia feel, very bizarre place to be to try to do that. And uh, I think that's when I felt like it was a heavy feeling of that this wasn't, I thought I was getting everything. You know, I thought 
having all the money and being able to to just have that comfort and feel the popularity was it felt good but then it had this waning effect where i was like it's not it's not going to stick around and there's not this like soulful fulfillment you know um so yeah i started to really close up to the whole idea of popularity as social media and stuff i just became like very resistant to any kind of uh action or belief that was going to like keep enhancing that thing of fame or or whatever it is because it's i started to sense it's like you can really easily tell when you're hanging out with people when the energy changes after you say what you do or that i'm in a band what's the name and i say the band name and then that person becomes my best friend for the night all of the sudden yeah was so icky to me and i just started filtering all of that out and trying to kind of like be passive and quiet to figure out like what i what i actually felt you know and you can't explain this to anybody because anybody i try to say like yeah i'm in this great band but i i kind of want to like there's something else am i really unhappy you know they're like what are you fucking talking about i've been trying to do this my whole life and you're yeah it seems ungrateful yeah Yeah. but it's actually just that nothing outside of you even great things can fill that void yeah and that's what the thing i think i intuitively just started slowing everything down that was coming in outside of me that was going to be a tempting thing to grab onto and uh yeah started to just I had to quiet down enough to uh, listen to myself, like kind of come up and start asking me to pay attention, you know? And that was through that Bruce Lee book uh, eventually. And then it kind of pulled me through. Um, but there was like two or three years. I'm mean, going to keep messing up all the time. I don't know, it, the whole thing has been 10 years within the band, but you know, it felt like two years in between where I was, it was just a null place. It was like, I, the success was great and it was like still there, but I, was just quietly like letting it go over my head so I could figure out what what to do you know and that was like a very lonely place for sure yeah because the yeah like the thing that makes you that has gotten you there made you happy on the outside and there's a, I mean there's a lot it's it's you can just I feel like you could if I continued to let that come in and affect me I could do it the rest of my life like you can you can search for it, but it, you can see that it's just become, it's going to have to, everything's going to come and go in waves. And so it's going to dip down. And if you're just relying on that for your happiness, when it dips, it's going to pull you down to the fucking, the abyss. Like you're going to go down there anyways. So, right. It's the fucking mirror thing that I keep trying to describe with fame, which like nowhere near this level of like fame and definitely not uh, money. Um, but, there was something about when I was young, I like knew I would be famous and I was like, and I'm just saying new, like that's, that's the sensation as a kid that I had was, I was just like so confident and, um, it's something that I wanted. It's something when I was young, I like burned for. And there is a thing about me that like Jason used to say kind of as an insult, my ex-husband, um, Jessa needs an audience like Jessa needs to be people to be perceiving whatever it is that she's doing. And he meant it as a dick, but it, it is actually kind of true is that there is something about me where I'm living in a movie and I feel, I feel like I'm supposed, people are supposed to be watching this movie, not like watch me and validate me, but just like, I'm supposed to be living out loud. And when I was a kid, I felt like the stars were watching me and that I was in a movie. It just feels like a movie. Like, like life itself feels like a performance. And 
Um, so obviously that when I was young though, and still looking for happiness outside of myself, that like that, that connected with this burning desire to be validated by other people and that it, it was kind of a gross thing. And I'm, I'm so fucking glad I used to be like, God damn it. I started doing drugs when I was really good at stand up for a 21 year old. And I had all these like magical, like combinations of things like that. I was young, but I was also like had been married for five years. And so I appealed to all these audiences and I was a little, I was quite a bit ahead of my time with the kind of, comedy I was doing I would have been a household name but I did drugs and now I'm like thank fuck I did drugs because I was not ready for what fame actually is which is a terrifying amount of people mirroring things back to you yeah that's that is so so like as like this is not happening came out and then things started to take off in a way that I knew they were going to take off by like October of 2018 I was like backed way off like I was like oh no 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 and I was caught up in this other thing and I was making myself small for this other thing but there was I could still feel the momentum like this is the thing this is the thing since you were a kid like it's here for you now let's go and I was like these people will all turn on me like I knew it I knew in that moment like this is so many first of all it's it's fucked up to have strangers have an opinion on you. I don't even know, like as someone who's tuned in and psychic and can hear it in the ether, it's a weird feeling. Uh, It feels like you can't make a mistake. I can't even imagine what it's like to be like, and this would never happen to me, never this level of fame, but like an A-list celebrity where there's like millions of people have a fucking opinion on your mistakes and there is no room for mistakes. And so I was like, oh, like everybody telling me, Every person who told me I love your work, whatever, I was like, oh, you'll turn on me. Like, and I, like, not from a place of low self esteem, but just like, oh, this is a house of cards. Like, people live like that. Like, they seek out more of this. This is crazy. I wanted to go into hiding, which has never been me. I never, like, I want, I don't know. I guess I don't want to be the center of attention. Like, social anxiety kind of keeps me a little bit quiet but there is like there's a performer in me there is like a living out loud like social media my my entire life is documented on the internet you know but that like I don't know I felt this kind of kind of fear in it and I've been thinking about it like more and more as time goes on and I'm like okay what this is like in the end of 2019 we were talking a lot about why some of these connections were ending and it's because we were like growing and changing so fast And then, like, I had people in my life that were, like, mirroring back an old version of me. And it's like, okay, I've changed. And they're like, no, you're this. And I'm like, okay, listen, like, I'm not that. I haven't been that in fucking months. Like, I've died and been reborn into this completely different thing. And if you can't stop mirroring that back to me, because it fucks me up. Yeah. Because I love you and I respect your opinion and stuff. And when you tell me I'm this, it, it like, actually makes me think I'm this. And I'm still now working through self-worth stuff from from staying in a connection with someone who was mirroring back a fucked up version of me a, a version of me that wasn't good enough or pretty enough or whatever the fuck but also like i healed this codependency thing and this person's just like mirroring back you're still codependent and like my family's kind of all awake and like chill so 
uh, that, that wasn't a thing for me, but a lot of people's family, like we're mirroring back this like broken child that they used to be or this addict that they used to be or whatever. And so this was kind of the conversation around the end of 2019 when we're starting to come out of resonance with people that we used to be best friends with in relationships with in families with whatever. What do we do here when being around people out of resonance makes us feel fucked up. You know, it's not just like sitting through a brutal conversation of small talk. It's like this person's telling me I'm things that I know I'm not. Yeah. You know, that, that was so difficult for me with the, because <clears throat> when you have any sort of fame, the audience gets bigger of people that are going to see you and, and see you in one place and then accept that's who you are. Right. And because culture's doing that, that we, we try to cling to that. And so I, I felt this within... Uh, some of the fan stuff, but I, I was always pretty passive with that. I didn't allow a lot of, I didn't put myself out there a ton on social media, so I didn't have to uh, like backtrack a lot of like who I was with them. Um, in certain ways, I did, but I mean, because I, I just mostly felt it within the bandmates and like the people around all of that. Like uh, at a certain point, when I started to change much more rapidly, I would be away from them sometimes on tour, you know, like in the hotel room a lot, like just with them on stage and then back in But any kind of break, I would change so much. And then I'd come to try to step back in to my role with the band and it would be hard. Cause like they would be expecting me or like telling me I'm someone by our exchanges and stuff. And I'm like, not at a place that I can really communicate so much what's going on and Hey, I'm changing and all this. It's like impossible. So much information right. and I'm in the middle of it. Um, so they project who I am. And I, I, it took me a while to figure out that's what was like so distasteful when I was out on the road. Like I didn't like being out there. Um, and it was because I was trying to fit my new self into uh, an environment that was seeing me in this old way. Um, but the power that happens with a lot of people, like the fans starting to, you can really feel like with, they want you to be a certain way. And it's the first time that they listened to the music or saw you. That was so magical. And that changed them. So they hang on to that's who you are because that's what you've done for me. And the moment that you start to shift and change, whether it's in the music or who you are as a person, it's now up to that individual to go with you in that or not. Right. And most of the time they're not going because we're not culturally taught to do that. And so if you're not aware of this and you're going in and you, you get popularity and fame and you start chasing that as the thing that's going to make you happy and you're not aware that like what you have to do in life as well is change and mold and you have to be aware that half of those people are going to drop when you do that they're gonna either like actively try to hate you because you're changing them like you're taking something away from yeah, them yeah that they've held on to um or they're gonna leave and say great they're gonna go away and so you have to be okay with and the people that really have like hacked fame that are still around and seem balanced and stabilized within it are people that can handle people hating them and handle criticism and handle all of it because they know that's a part of it in some way, like that I'm going to be morphing and changing. And I'm, it's not just my family around me that's going to be watching me now. It's like a ton of people. And I can af we're affecting, I'm affecting them and helping them, but also like showing them here's i'm gonna change and do this and that's gonna they're gonna say oh i don't like that and that's helpful for them they can move on but right you, you can't hang on to all these people when you become popular like the the stabilized way to do it is to move into it and know that i mean it's a good thing to like i think fame can be a wonderful tool 
um, if you cannot be like wrapped up by it and taken away by it. You can, right. you can just sit in it and it's a it's a wave too. It's going to come up and down and you allow the people around you to just fall and come when they are. Yeah, yeah. you have to be so self-actualized though because if you're still doing the thing where you're looking for your truth in the reflections you're getting from other yeah. people, you're going to get like fragmented. We were talking about on this streaming show I'm doing now <clears throat> um, that hasn't come out yet. Uh where we're talking about like Justin Bieber and there are certain famous people that I see and they seem shattered. They seem like a broken thing where there's like 10 of them that don't communicate with each other um, within themselves. And that's because they believe a lot of the things that are presented to them that are mirrored back to them. And those things all contradict. They have like fans that think they're great. And then they have people that think they're an opposer and they have people that think they're, you know, like whatever bad. And then other people think they're good. And then they, they like believe their own legends, but there's all these different legends. And so they end up in all these different pieces of themselves. And it's really difficult in the face of any sort of more than 50 people in your life pointing their perception at you because when a lot of people point the perception at something it makes it real as part of the reason that i'm like let's check out of the clown car that is the uh government because we make it more real we make the corruption more real by pointing our perception at it when if we collectively pointed our perception at at a new solution that's ours and not theirs um we could create that when you step into a role where you're having a lot of people's perception pointed at you it's diff- like there's there's so many different challenges that I'm finding even with this podcast that I haven't shut the fuck up about this in a couple episodes. But like taking criticism in a way that I, I don't like I'm be- I need to become like less. I'm kind of like trying to talk through it on the podcast because I think it's I try to be vulnerable as possible and it's valuable to like show myself doing the work on certain things. So when I'm like tripping on something, I try to talk about it on the podcast so that people can hear like me do the work because I think otherwise I like present myself as someone that has my shit together in a way that's different than the like we're all in the exact same process processing through different things so I talk about the mess of codependency and the mess of love and the mess of whatever what I'm currently in is like the 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 what it's like to have people paying attention to you and there's like there's a temptation to stick to one thing that is more palatable to like become more popular or whatever. I don't care about becoming more popular, but it's like, okay, now the podcast and this stuff is all my life. And so I have to sustain this rather than being like, I didn't even fucking ask for this. And it showed up on accident when I wasn't trying. And then it's, that's the magic of it. And like letting it go and like accepting that probably I'll be doing something completely different. Like what makes my heart sing? My heart sing is this idea of like, um, you know, doing this thing. And in order to authentically do that, like I have to let people not like it. And uh, it's hard to be misunderstood is a big part of it. It's really hard to be misunderstood. When somebody is like, I, when they totally understand what I'm doing and they hate it, it doesn't really bother me. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm not for you. It's yeah. fine. But when someone misunderstands what uh, I'm trying yeah. to do, uh, or like, I don't know, let, I guess actually kind of, that's the flip side of something. Cause like last week I was trying to unpack it and I was like, I'm actually pretty confident in what I'm doing here. And this person misunderstood. 
It's when I have to play the villain in other people's story. It's so fucking hard, yeah, man. Yeah, me too, it's man. It's so hard, especially people I love. You know, it's like I loved you, and you're going to, for for at least the near future, you're going to think I'm a piece of shit mm-hmm. because, like, that's the role I had to play for you, which means I agreed to that in some higher dimension. <laughs> but, like, man, it's hard to, have to like, know that, I lo- like, I loved you, and now I'm the bad guy in your movie. It sucks. I feel, yeah, I feel the same way. I've never been able to be able to i mean i've never been okay with that until just recently in my life i'm starting to feel how i can be okay because i just started to real i mean it's like a simple thing but for me it was really like clear uh that in a lot of this stuff that was happening to me um in like an awakening i didn't like there's so much that it was impossible to try to explain to anybody and even within the band stuff, like finding the ways like nobody can understand the dynamics of the people that are in that band together on the road. Like it's five different like intimate relations. I mean, we're not <laughs> intimate, but it's <laughs> it's very uh, so many band members to fuck. Like <laughs> yeah. every single day, I was never alone. A lot of work. Uh, I'm an introvert. I had to fuck the <laughs> bass player. Then I had to fuck. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, but it becomes so. Uh, powerful and real uh what was i saying earlier um imagining fucking my (laughs) bandmates got me off track (laughs) what was i saying um we were talking about uh playing the villain in other people's movies yes and realizing so uh just trying to explain the dynamics of that band with anybody is is really difficult without them being there for five years touring with us Um, right and so but I still was trying, I, w- I needed to clarify like my point because I wanted them to validate me and what I was doing. But I started to just get overwhelmed with, I can't explain everything. So just, I had to be like, hopefully they'll just figure this shit out yeah. when I figure it out in years or whatever. And they'll see the decisions I made to be clear and not like mean or whatever. Um, and so I just started to like see the complexities also in our lives. Like one of the cool things about reality, I feel that our, each individual life is like it is really one of a kind like you've never the the reality the universe is trying to experience a certain aspect of reality through each of us and it truly is individual because of every moment that unfolds is uniquely yours and so you pick up information in a slightly different way than everyone else right and that that is going to give you a certain perspective when you're making decisions and there is actually no way for somebody else to completely understand you fully and why you did it. Um, so I just start giving up. I'm giving up trying to, I mean, before I was like always on every little detail about myself to try to make sure everybody knew exactly my perspective when I'm making this decision. So I'm not a villain. I'm not a bad guy. Right. But now it's like, dude, there's, I'm so enmeshed in it. There's so much shit that's happened in the last three years of my life that I couldn't explain to anyone. Like, I just give up now. I'm like, I'm going to just follow the decisions, be your villain, be your whatever, and it'll play out in some way, you know? I'm not doing that exactly, but I can see how that's something I can step into soon. Yeah. Because I've always been overtaken by my image. That was like, or my perce- if how I was being perceived by somebody else influenced every little decision I made. I was obsessed with that. Yeah, I was obsessed with that yeah. as well. And... um the final piece for me, I don't know, the most recent piece for me was like, uh, I don't get to decide like what the narrative is after I walk out of someone else's life. Yeah. Because um, I had had kind of an experience 
a lot of like when my marriage closed out, a lot of that we were we didn't really fight too much. But then like a year afterwards, there was like fighting about kind of fighting over what the what the narrative was. And I thought about how interesting that was from the perspective that I'm I'm in a movie about my life and you're in a movie about your life and we're kind of playing a role for each other. But it's two different movies. And but we spend so much of the movies arguing about what's happening. And it's like we're both right because you're playing yeah. the role of someone who's rejecting me and I'm playing the role of someone who's clinging to you or whatever. I don't mean you. I mean my twin flame. But we just spend so much. It's the same thing with like what's real. You know, we spend so much time fighting over uh, what is real. The best way to look at reality or yeah, what's yeah. So true. Is this real or not? Yeah. yeah. When it's all true, really. All right. Not. I think that's. How much time are we at? This is good. Two years. Two years. That feels about right. One more year. I usually say, "Where do people find you?" You don't want anyone to find you, do you? <laughs> yeah, you can find you can find me in the. Uh, what's that rap song? I asked Owen in the crossroads. No, but that's <laughs> you can find me in the crossroads. Crossroads. I asked Owen Hunt, and he just started giving like his uh, like long <laughs> longitude. Oh, yeah, like, I was on a cruise the other day. I was, his his coordinates. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I doubt you're. You got a podcast. I mean, people know where to fuck to find me. If you know, if you heard the band, I guess you could probably figure it out. <laughs> if you haven't, then that's wonderful. <laughs> Perfect. Um. Yeah. So just look up. Uh, Fallout Boy, and um, if you want to find me, I love being found. I will be in Portland on March 12th, Tacoma on March 13th, Yakima on March 14th, and uh, Olympia on March 15th. I will be in Cincinnati in April. I will be at Skankfest in late March. I should get those dates at some point. I, if you want a reading, jessareed.com. If you want to join the Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash Jessa Reed. You know, you can get general readings there. We do live videos where we talk about this shit once a week and um, stuff. Two bonus episodes of Soberish available. I'm usually much better at this part. Maybe I'll cut this out of an old episode. Um, and then Jessa Reed Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. This podcast for no reason at Soberish Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And I will see you next week. Or the week after that, I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs>